Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. On this episode, Matt and I discuss some of the research that he's been doing around neuroscience and spiritual practices. We may get in a little bit over our heads, but it was a really fascinating conversation, and we think you're going to enjoy it just as much as we did. And if you do, would you please rate us on your favorite podcasting platform? A five-star rating and a good review helps us get noticed on the platforms and helps other people discover the show. Also, I just want to quickly remind you, if you have any questions or you want to get in touch with us, please email us at podcast at signpostin.org. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey, Matt, it's good to see you on the back porch here at the Signpost Inn. Good to see you too, Brandon. How you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited to talk to you today. I know that you have been uh, kind of deep dive researching some stuff that's been on your mind for a while. And I, could you just tell us, I think it started with the J.P. Moreland book is what you told me, right? Is that? Yes, that's right. Yeah. This has been something that I've been, that's been on my mind over the past, I'd say two years or more, but especially over the last few months, I've had the opportunity and, and come across some books that it has really captured my attention and has gotten me really excited. So we've talked about it before. J.P. Moreland is a, uh, a Christian philosopher. He's been a professor for years and years and years. He's so highly respected in the field of apologetics and Christian philosophy and, and a phenomenal person. He put out a book a few years ago called Finding Quiet. And in that, he actually shares very personally his own struggle with depression and anxiety. He has battled cancer several times in his life. And um, one of the latest battles that he had with cancer really did send him into a depression. And in this book, he talks about those struggles and talks about how he found a lot of help in some things that his counselors and psychologists have helped him find. And through this union of spiritual practices and counseling and uh, exploring himself, the research of psychology, and neuroscience, he found a lot of a lot of healing and a lot of support, which is is really great. If I remember correctly, for you, that was both encouraging and challenging, the, that intersection, which is what we're talking about today between the spiritual practices and psychology and neuroscience, that got you started on reading some other books, right? Yes. And so, and may, maybe this would be a good time to talk about some of my un, unchallenged assumptions. So some of our listeners might have, might come from a tradition or, or from, from faith communities that are very skeptical towards psychology and neuroscience. And I think some of that is well-founded, particularly because there are branches of that field of study and certain fields of research and, and, and even just fundamental assumptions that are incompatible with the Christian faith, primarily from the standpoint of materialism. There are scientists out there who are just strict materialists, and there is no such thing as a soul. There is no such thing as a mind. You, there is literally just the brain and what the brain does 
is what the mind is. And that's who you are. You are nothing more than the atoms dancing around inside your head. And we as Christians can flatly reject that. We know we have souls. We know we have a spirit and we are embodied in our physical bodies, but we are not solely our spiritual body or our, our physical bodies. There is a soul within us. And fortunately, there are a lot of great scientists and psychologists out there who agree with us. And one thing that's really exciting is to see the number of Christians in the field of psychology that are doing really phenomenal research and publishing a lot of things that are getting a lot of traction. It's almost like there is a kind of renaissance happening. And a big part of that is the new imaging technologies that we have to look at the brain while it's working. This is fairly new within the last 50 years, the ability to look at the brain without cutting open the head and, and or dealing with dead brains, right? And so this is exciting. And one of the things that we're seeing is that a lot of things that Christians have just sort of assumed and believed for years are kind of coming out to, to be found to be true. I want to read to you a quote. This is from Jeffrey Schwartz, who's a, a, a research psychologist. And he says, we can now say we have scientifically demonstrated that by changing your behavior, you can change your brain. And that is a, a major shift in this field of research because here's what here's what he's saying that we can make choices and we can use our mind to change our physical brain and that is inverted from what the materialist perspective says um, which is huge yeah it is let me just clarify that make sure we're all so for the people who are normally listening to this show this, this one has already gotten to be a little bit headier than we've done in the past, and that's okay. Um, I want to remind everybody that we are not the experts here. We are just learning together, and Matt's been – you've been learning this stuff kind of on your own for a while, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because I'm fascinated by this, and this is so interesting, and I think it intersects with what we're doing so well. But what you've said so far, as far as I understand, is that the scientific fields of neuroscience and psychology are – it with new brain imaging abilities are kind of coming to the conclusions that the Christians had already said a long time ago, that our minds, our souls, our spirits, whatever, our, the immaterial part of us, the part of us that isn't physical, can actually affect our physical parts. Now, we may not understand how that all works. And, you know, my philosophy background immediately goes into that question. But that's not really the question we're asking how. What we're saying is that it does. And we're, we're able to actually watch it happen is what you're saying. Right. And I, I appreciate you making that point that, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't have a degree in this. I'm just, uh, I sometimes like to refer to myself as a, a blue collar intellectual. I get to, uh, I work in a physical, physically demanding job and that frees up my mind to really think about a lot of things that fascinate me. One of the things you said before we got started recording was that sometimes Christians don't trust the science or the psychology and you had mentioned this thing that I've heard before too, which is sometimes Christians say that all of these so-called mental problems can be reduced to like sin problems. And so we don't need, we don't need to work with our bodies or our minds or our, our, our brains because it's all just a matter of sin. Can you unpack that at all? Like, what did you mean by that? I mean, there is a school of thought that it all just comes down to the spiritual soul and your relationship with God. And on a very fundamental level, I think I agree with that. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes that answer is used to just dismiss a person's problems and struggles and minimize them. And sometimes it's used as just kind of a way to blow people off. We have a, a fellow brother or sister who comes to us 
in our faith community that's really struggling with depression. And somebody who's not willing to walk beside them in that season might just say something as simple as, well, you just need to have more faith and then walk away from them. That's just not helpful because depression is a real thing. And yes, there may be some sin there that needs to be dealt with, but to simply dismiss it as, well, that's your problem. You need to deal with your own sin and then just leave them alone to deal with it isn't very helpful. And and honestly, I don't think that's the way uh, my mind automatically jumps to, well, what would Jesus say in that situation? And it probably wouldn't be, oh, you of little faith, you need to just get your act together. It seems to me that that's a, that statement there's really no mental illnesses or something like that. It's all just a matter of sin assumes a very shallow definition of sin as if sin is just a matter of will and willpower and that we can snap out of any problem we have just by choosing to, you know, trust and obey or something like that. And in a sense, it falls off the horse the other direction. So you were talking about materialists before, the people who believe that there is nothing to human beings other than our physical being. That statement sort of assumes the other side, that really our physical being plays no role in our lives. It's only our, our will, our ability to choose our spirit. And it's even a very narrow definition of spirit as being will. Well, if I was interacting with somebody who took that position, I would just immediately go to some of the science that we have today and say that's demonstrably false. The truth is, is that habits are wired into our brain. Um, You know, there's this axiom in psychology that says neurons that fire together, wire together. Habits are something that can literally be physically wired into our brains. And sin habits are no different than habits of any other kind. So another area where this is showing up in, especially in Christian circles, in terms of defeating things like persistent problems with sin and addiction, this concept of neuroplasticity, which is essentially a very fancy way of saying your brain is malleable and adaptable and you can you can change the way it works. You have people who actually deal with real addictions. Their brains have so often engaged in that repetitive activity that in order to break that habit, they need to rewire their brain. And that takes work. And simply to just have more faith, quote unquote, or white knuckle it and get your life together is is just really not that simple. We know that it's not that simple. And anybody that's ever had persistent struggle with any particular sin knows that it's hard. We, we now see both from practical experience and from what scripture says, but also what neuroscience is showing us is that we can rewire our brain through engaging in the spiritual practices that Christianity has practiced for centuries. And in doing so, we see the restoration and redemption, not just of our souls, but literally through imaging technology, we can see it be our brains being redeemed. The part of this that's exciting to me is that in some sense, we are starting, we're, we're coming out of this sharp divide between materialism and spiritualism, or Christians have long struggled with a fancy word of Gnosticism, where we, we mm-hmm. say that the body is bad, physical is bad, and the spirit is good. And that's, that goes all the way back to the early, early church. Paul dealt with it. And what we're seeing is that Jesus and the apostles and the Christian tradition since then has understood that we are a complete being. It's something you've talked about, right? Oh, oh, an integrated whole that 
However it works, our bodies, our souls, they're one thing. We are made body and soul. And so when Jesus begins the work of healing us, he's healing us. He's healing me, everything, the whole bit, body and soul. And that's the end goal. And I I just, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a really interesting study that was done. This is, this is really fascinating. I think Dr. Andrew Newberg, who was a psychologist and a researcher did some experiments with using, and and now he's an, he's an agnostic slash atheist. He doesn't believe in any kind of uh, religion. He's, he's a psychologist that is kind of following the, the evidence where it leads. And he put out a book called how God changes your mind. And he took a test group of people and he actually went and he focused on one particular person I can't remember what his name was. It probably wasn't even his real name anyway, but they take this guy, Ralph. He's a construction worker and he's getting into his later years and he just wants to improve his memory. And so part of this research that they did is they basically took him and taught him some very simple Hindu meditation techniques. And through the use of some really incredible brain imaging technology, they took a a starting image of his brain and, you know, they found... You know, they, they sort of had like a, a brain print, you know, an image of, of what his brain looked like. And he went away for several months and did these very simple meditations that had no spiritual significance to him whatsoever. He comes back in a few months and they image his brain. And there are areas of his brain that have lit up through this consistent practice of doing this daily that were dark before. Now that's that's incredible in itself, right? That there that you can do a few simple techniques that maybe not even all that significant or meaningful to you. And you can increase your brain function and increase the integration of the various parts of your brain. But where that really is fascinating for us as Christians is that, well, we actually do know the truth. We actually do have the God of all creation interacting with us in those times of prayer. There are those who are going to immediately be afraid because you just referenced Hindu meditation. If I understand correctly, what you're saying is it's validating that the that the soul, the spirit, and the and the mind affect the body, and that, well, let me let me put it this way: practices like silence and uh, focusing on your breath have been in all the religious traditions, just like ritual has been in every religious tradition. And just because the Hindus have rituals doesn't mean that Christian ritual is bad. It's kind of like what C.S. Lewis said about. Um, he looks at ancient religions and he says they're like good dreams. So he looks at myth in the Greek philo- Greek world and he says it's like a good dream. It's it's a shadow of the truth. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say is that here's a study that happens to have used you know Eastern mysticism and and meditative techniques there that had a positive effect on the brain. And our response is sort of like, well, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. And a good comparison is like, well, Christian weightlifting doesn't build your muscles any better than atheistic weightlifting, yeah. right? We are talking about a physical process. And just because other practices and experiences which are not focused on Christ have a benefit for the person who's doing them doesn't disprove that Christ is the way. We shouldn't We shouldn't let that discourage us. We shouldn't let that be like, oh, well, then we're not going to get into any of that because it's not... Christian. Well, neither is weightlifting, but you still need to build your muscles. And same thing with our with our minds and our and our bodies. It's not prohibited for us to actually take an instrumental role in building the health of our brains. Another way to think about it, I kind of want to I would want to reverse the reverse the analogy or metaphor there. 
and say, we followers of Christ have a broader circle. In other words, Christ, uh, to stick with weightlifting, weightlifting is a very Christian exercise. It's an incredibly Christian thing to do to work out and enjoy our bodies and take care of our bodies and love the physical creation that God made, which is partly us. <laughs> and just because weightlifting can be done by a non-Christian or for selfish reasons doesn't ruin the good thing. And similarly, let's take the practice of silence for a moment, the spiritual practice of silence, where we calm and quiet our souls like a weaned child with its mother, which is Psalm 131. It's a very Christian thing to do. Just because Buddhists do something similar doesn't mean that that's not Christian. It actually means, from my perspective, that other religions use a very Christian thing for a bad purpose or for a misguided purpose. But I just want to, I like, I want to reverse the circle and say, instead of thinking to be Christian, we have to constrict more and more and more and be like, uh oh, well, what's, what's the picture of God you've got there? No, the picture of God is he made this whole world. He made us body and soul. Like you've been saying, he made us so that our bodies participate in our spiritual lives and growth. You know what I would expect to find in a world like that? I would expect to find that contemplative meditative practices have really healthful benefits to us because our soul and our bodies are supposed to be integrated. Yes, uh, 100%. And, and I think that is a very healthy thing to recognize because I think there are certain streams within the community of faith and certain types of Christianity that would be very apprehensive and on guard against certain things like that. Some of the things that we just said, I don't think that's deserved. I think that there's a lot that we have to gain from being open to this because, again, none of this stuff disproves the truth of Christ or the reality of God's revealed word. It can be helpful. And mindfulness is a big buzzword right now. In fact, there's so many apps that you can download for your phone to, to do meditation and practice mindful. It's, it's a big business. And part of the reason it's a big business is because it's working. I think it actually opens up a great doorway for Christians to engage with our non-Christian coworkers and friends. If somebody is engaged in atheistic or non-theistic or, or any other tradition of meditation, and they're doing that regularly, that's an open door for us to be like, let's talk about that. I mean, from a Christian perspective, what those people are doing, they're cracking the door open just a little bit for the light of Jesus to come in. And for us who do know Jesus as our personal savior, that gives us an opportunity to speak into that field of their life. It's sort of like a back door. Isn't that interesting? It reverses the way that I've often heard this conversation happen, which is out of a place of fear, Christians will say, well, that opens the door to bad things. And what you're saying is, no, it's the other way around. It can actually open the door to the true things. And I think the distinction that we would make, you know, the distinction I would want to make, I don't practice mindfulness. I practice faithfulness. Now, there's a really close similarity because when I sit down to pray contemplatively, I'm not trying to empty my mind and get a physical benefit. What I'm trying to do is sit in simple faith and trust in my Savior Jesus and just rest in his love. And my train of thought that is so crazy, full of anxiety, often distracts me from the real presence of Christ right here with me. And so I use uh, a method that helps me to focus and quiet my thoughts. Now, there's a similarity there 
to a kind of mindfulness practice that you might find on an app. But there's a key difference. And that key difference is I'm not sitting there because I'm trying to do something for my mental health, first and foremost. I'm sitting there just to be with Jesus. Now, does it have a physical health benefit? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's helped me with my anxiety immensely. But I have come to the point where that's not why I do it. I don't do it because it helps me with my anxiety. That's a lovely gift that God gives me, but I do it because I like Jesus. <laughs> I do it because it's good to sit with him, to know him better. And I think what you're saying is like the similarities between what, what I just described and what some of the mindfulness practices are that are out there in the world are an open door into a real relationship with Jesus. It's like we can come to, it's like what Paul did in Acts. We could go and say, hey, you know this like unknown God that you're talking about, this unnamed God? Let me introduce him to you. You know this spiritual thing that you're trying to contact or get in touch with or in harmony with? Let me introduce you to the real person behind that. Right. So what that makes me think of Brandon is actually the story out of Acts 10, where Peter is sent to Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a righteous Gentile. This was a person who wasn't Jewish and didn't know the full revelation of God, but he, he knew that there was a God and he was seeking him. And when Peter shows up and preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on him and his whole household. And in a similar way, I think we as Christians have an opportunity to speak into this big trend right now for the for mindfulness practices where people are opening themselves up in a purely selfish way of, oh, I just want better mental health. And we can enter in in the same way that Peter entered in Cornelius's home. We can come in and, and say, the thing that you're experiencing in a small way, there's a next level of revelation there. And that's Jesus Christ. So it actually reminds me of a quote from a guy named Robert Jastrow, and he's speaking about um, scientists and philosophers and, and people who are purely secular. And he says this, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, and he is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. And that's just a, I just love that quote because it's this idea of in our secular culture, so many people have just discounted faith, discounted scripture, discounted any kind of experience of God. And yet what we find is the greater scientific research that is done, the more we find truths that confirm uh, scripture and the Christian life for a long time. This, I mean, and he was speaking specifically of astronomy in that quote, but we also see that now in psychology as well. The things that Christians have practiced for centuries actually create healthy brains, better mental health, and better, better souls. God built this into creation for our good. I think this is a good way to wrap up this episode. I think for those folks who are listening and asking a lot of questions, I do want to say we have an email address, podcast at signpostin.org. Ask your questions. Give us your challenges. We're going to try to respond to every email we get, either here on the podcast or via an email back. And remember, we're not the experts. These are just fun back porch conversations. Feel free to disagree and tell us why. But also, I think what I'd wrap it up with is this. What we're seeing is that all of reality is God's reality. We should not be surprised to find that a spiritual practice, and by that we just mean a relationship with God practice, does us good. I mean, really, that's really fundamentally obviously true. So um, 
so yeah, so let's wrap it up there. Matt, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for this one. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again the next time. Awesome. I can't wait. And I guess we'll just bid farewell to our listeners as well. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free e-book. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostn.org slash donate.